Hey, you're listening to Guat. Rocks, God, the World, and Other Things. I'm Kenny Price, your host. Our mission, Advancing Equilibrium in the Midst of an Agitated World. This is Season 9, Episode 190, Title All Along the Watchtower. Subtitle, The Hour is Getting Late. Cheatsheet.com reads, If you aren't familiar with Dylan's All Along the Watchtower, that's a song, the track appeared on his 67 release, John Wesley Harding. It featured an humble arrangement of guitar, bass, and drums with Dylan singing and playing harmonica as the lead instrument. In brief, it doesn't have the sledgehammer impact that Hendrix's rendition features, talking about Jimi Hendrix. Many music fans consider Hendrix's version the greatest cover of all time for that reason. Dylan certainly thought Hendrix made a lot out of the track. Rolling Stone magazine reports that in a speech that Dylan gave in 2015, he said that Jimi Hendrix took some small songs of mine that nobody paid any attention to and brought them up into the outer limits of the stratosphere, turned them all into classics. I have to thank Jimmy. I wish he was here. The Hendrix version, released six months after Dylan's original recording, became a top 20 single in 1968, received a Grammy Hall of Fame award in 2001, and 2004 was ranked 48th in Rolling Stone magazine's 500 Greatest Songs of All Time, and that was revised from 48th to 40th position in the revised version that came out just this past year in 2021. A severe motorcycle accident that put Dylan in 18 months of recuperation and healing resulted in downtime that equated to time spent with his family and songwriting. It's interesting to note he recorded All Along the Watchtower on November 6, 1967 at Columbia Studio A right here in Nashville, Tennessee, where I live. Dylan's song, Knocked Out of the Park by Jimi Hendrix, in just 12 short lines, paints a vignette of a castle under impending siege, while the princes, the song says, kept the view all along the watchtower. Now, friends, that is important. While the princes kept the view all along the watchtower. And as the people continued their lives with no awareness of impending doom, which is clearly observed and reported by two voyeurs at the beginning of the song, the Joker and the thief hear the growling wildcat and the howling wind. They see the princes on the watchtower that kept the view and the two approaching riders. The Joker and the thief determined to get on with business because the hour is getting late. That's a quote. Commenting on the observations made by the Joker, Dylan faults himself of having fallen short of a balladeer's job because Watchtower opens up in a stranger way. For we have the cycle of events, and this is a quote, for we have the cycle of events working in a rather reverse order. The powerful tension of the song is due to that very fact, I think. Up front, the two voyeurs let us know that what they are about to discuss has already happened and they are hitting the road before the damage is done. What an amazing song. In just a few moments, you feel the impending doom, the people going about their lives oblivious to what is about to take place. We don't know what is exactly about to take place, but it's clear from the song that it's not good. Dylan's release of his own song didn't even make the charts. Hendrix's version brought the impending doom to frantic life through his howling blues voice, his raucous electric guitar, and the amazing recording mix. In the Wikipedia article on All Along the Watchtower song, it reports Dave Van Ronk, an early supporter and mentor of Dylan, in sharp criticism of the celebrated genius of Dylan's writing of this song. In other words, critics were assigning to Dylan that he had written a masterpiece with his song, and yet a friend and mentor named Dave Van Ronk wrote, 
That whole artistic mystique is one of the great traps of this business, because down that road lies unintelligibility. Dylan has a lot to answer for there, because after a while he discovered that he could get away with anything. He was Bob Dylan, and people would take whatever he wrote on faith. So he could do something like All Along the Watchtower, which is simply a mistake from the title on down. A watchtower is not a road or a wall, and you can't go along it. His authoritative assessment, which I had read years ago, got me to question my own sense of what I thought a watchtower was and what the song seemed to say. I always thought that the song talked about the sentinel towers located along the castle walls. But I thought, hey, maybe I've been wrong all these years, so I looked it up. Of course, my research confirmed that there are watchtowers. A watchtower is a type of fortification used in many parts of the world. It can be attached to a castle wall system or be freestanding. Quote, its main purpose is to provide a high, safe place from which a sentinel or guard may observe the surrounding area. In some cases, non-military towers, such as religious towers, may also be used as watchtowers. Yesterday morning, in a time of daily devotion with my wife, where we read the Bible in books of spiritual inspiration and devotion, through the leadership of the Holy Spirit, my wife read the devotion for tomorrow, which is actually today as I'm making this recording. It was accidental on her part, but intentional on the Holy Spirit's part. She discovered the misreading after she had to step away for a moment from the outdoor cafe table where we sit. In the moments she was gone, thinking about the partial devotion she had just read, my mind was hit with a vision of what Christ saw from his view on the cross, his crucifixion at the hands of people who were wicked and cruel. I began to cry. Think about it. From nine o'clock in the morning until he gave up his spirit and died at three o'clock in the afternoon, for right at six hours, he looked down from that cross, that watchtower. On the Day of Atonement, the highest holy day of Judaism, where the high priest, one day a year, made sacrifice for the people's sins in the Holy of Holies, the inner sanctuary of the temple in the very presence of God. On that day, there on the hill called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull, standing in clear hearing distance to his voice was his mother, the apostle John, and surely the rest of his disciples and the multitude that had lauded him with a triumphant celebration as he entered the city of Jerusalem just the Sunday before, during this holiest of weeks, the week of atonement. Now, less than 24 hours after his own disciples had witnessed Jesus' cloak manifestation of his majesty and power that was seen as his self-identification knocked the armed mob backwards to the ground there in the Garden of Gethsemane, and the reattachment of the severed ear Peter caught as he was swinging his short sword for the head of Malchus, the high priest's servant. There they stood, watching it all go down. To this day, the apostle Peter takes a bad rap as the one who publicly denied he even knew Jesus not once, not twice, but three times. But if you study that night when Jesus was betrayed, as Peter stood there around that campfire, in eye distance to Jesus, because it says that as soon as the cock crowed, Christ looked at Peter. Hey, John was also there accompanying Christ as he was on trial in that feeding frenzy of evil. John watched it all just happen. He was a rugged man's man. From the biblical account, the Apostle John gives no evidence that he called out Peter for his foul-mouthed denial of his relationship with Jesus. John didn't leave the tragic event in the middle of the night and mount a party to go back and free Jesus from the hands of the high priest and Pilate. Not he, not any one of the massive group of people that followed him 
at the end of his three years of miraculous ministry, sought to rise up as Jesus was paraded through the streets as a notorious criminal on the way to the hill of horrendous torture designed for capital punishment? They could have challenged the soldiers on the hill that day in the last moments before the soldiers nailed Jesus to the cross. Think about it. The mob clearly outnumbered the soldiers, but they did nothing. No one lifted a finger to rescue him as he was hanging there. Christ's sentence to death at the request of the religious leaders and the people was a trade-off replacement for release of the Jewish insurrectionist Barabbas. The irony here of the released insurrectionist, labeled that by the occupying force of the Roman Empire, is that he, he had been willing to die for Israel's release from the Romans, the oppressors of the Jewish people. Yet Jesus' followers were not willing to respond in any way. You say to yourself, Kenny, the abandonment of Jesus was a necessity for Jesus to fulfill prophecy, die in our place on the cross, and rise from the dead to purchase our salvation. To that, my friend, I say yes, that's all true. But the condition of men's souls that would allow them to see their best friend, their rabbi, their Messiah be kidnapped, ridiculed, and then, after being tortured and beaten to the allowable final 39th strike, with a masterful piece of torture equipment called the Cat of Nine Tails, and like I said, paraded through the streets like a common criminal, then finally laid down and pinned to the cross, paints for us too vivid a picture of just how bad the very best of us are, apart from Christ's substitutionary atoning death, burial, and resurrection. The greatest tragedy of torture was flipped on its end and resulted in the greatest miracle that has ever been or ever will be, the reconciliation of God and humankind through Jesus Christ. The best of us are all guilty of sin that leads to eternal death, and we are all in need of a Savior, which leads me back to the song All Along the Watchtower. In my mind, as I began to think of things from Jesus' perspective, the song came to mind, especially the part, The Hour is Getting Late, in reference to the impending doom, which led me to this in the Wikipedia article, where it reads, several reviewers have pointed out that the lyrics in All Along the Watchtower echo lines in the book of Isaiah, chapter 21, verses 5 through 9. And then I became aware of, oh, this is why all this has been brought to my mind. It led me back to the scripture, to the book of Isaiah, starting in verse 5, chapter 21. Prepare a table and spread out a carpet. Eat and drink. Rise up, you princes, and oil the shields. For the Lord has said to me, Go, post a lookout. Let him report what he sees. When he sees riders, pairs of horsemen, riders on donkeys, riders on camels, he must pay close attention. Then the lookout reported, Lord, I stand on the watchtower all day, and I stay at my post all night. Look, riders come, horsemen in pairs. And he answered, saying, This is talking about the Lord. And he answered, saying, Babylon has fallen, has fallen. All the images of her gods have been shattered on the ground. My friend, when the Lord said, Babylon has fallen, has fallen, he repeated that fallenness that says that the destruction of Babylon is sure. And when he referenced that the images of her gods have been shattered on the ground, that is the ultimate insult made to a culture was to go in and to destroy their idols. And yet God says, Babylon's idols, their idolatry, their filthiness has been shattered on the ground. Clearly a pronouncement that Babylon has met its doom. The, the guided steps to this passage of Isaiah was from God. 
In light of this, here are some practical applications for you and me today. Number one, you may be Granny Emma and you may think you've never done one thing wrong, but I'm telling you, before the face of a holy and righteous God, we have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. We all need salvation. We all need forgiveness. And we all need the resurrection of Jesus Christ to cover our sins and give us hope of eternal life in heaven. Number two, that unlike the unrighteous princes, and in the song, it's plural, the joker and the thief, Jesus is the righteous watchman on the wall who, instead of sitting by and letting the world go to a literal hell or tucking and running from the impending doom, he embraced it. He overpowered it and bought eternal salvation by his atoning shed blood for all who would receive the free gift of forgiveness and eternal life. Practical application number three. Friend, do you want to know the reason for the current mayhem and anarchy that continues to gain momentum through errant politicians that are supposed to first and foremost care for our well-being as a people and a nation? For errant school superintendents and mayors and city council members and errant school teachers, errant police, errant pastors, errant doctors, errant nurses, errant corporate executives, and all others in places of authority? Here's what I have to say to you. And this is going to come hard. Look in the mirror. For now, almost all of these people exist in seats of power, wielding sometimes catastrophic damage through our vote. Even in the context of the biggest corporate executives who answer to the shareholders of their corporation. Someone comes into power as a CEO through the vote of shareholders who represent the public who have invested in the stock of that company. So friend, almost all of the people in this nation who are taking our nation down the toilet, they're doing it because of us. At the end of the day, all of this is our fault. Our silence and inaction has caused this world to come to collapse. Can it get worse? Absolutely. Will it get worse? Absolutely. If things don't change very quickly, we've got to take responsibility for our own sin, repent and turn to God. The judgment of God must start first with the household of God. Read the book of Ezekiel and see if it doesn't seem like the news report for the United States of America. If you can read the book of Ezekiel and not see America in that book, then you have a problem. I know that's a harsh statement, but my friend, the Bible makes it clear that God comes to a point of his fill with the filth and, and evilness of a nation, and he finally says no more. Read the book of Ezekiel. When you and I begin to live as Christians in this world and not as silent bystanders, we will see the power and impact one person who is willing to stand in the gap, and that comes from the book of Ezekiel, can have toward God saving a person, saving a city, saving a state, saving a nation, saving a world. I'm not talking about mounting a political insurrection. Listen to me. I am not talking about mounting a political insurrection. That is not the answer. Politics cannot save our nation or rescue our world. The change we need is not political, but spiritual. When the power and presence of God is manifested in our lives and our world, no power of evil can stand against it. Mark that down, my friend. And I tell you, this gets me excited. When the power and presence of God is manifested in our lives, my life and your life, no power of evil can stand against it. The healing of our nation and our world begins with us. In conversation with a friend of mine on the phone the other day, he said he had asked someone at church if they thought we may be in the end times. And the man looked back at him and said, not necessarily, but we could be at the end of America. 
Friend, contrary to what some people believe, that we are somewhat like the nation of Israel and are highly favored of God, we better fit the bill of ancient Babylon, whom the lookout's observations from the watchtower, when recounted to the Lord, resulted in the Lord declaring the sure judgment and destruction of Babylon. Friend, the hour is getting late. The time of judgment is upon us, and we are feeling and experiencing the divine judgment of God. Global pandemics, perpetual wars, licentiousness that permeates the world up to and including the core of the local church, anarchy instead of the rule of law and order in our cities, devastating drought that has come to the West Coast. Just look at Lakes Powell and Mead. They, my friend, are at record lows. It is deeply disturbing. They are at the brink of literally being drained dry. Stuart Briscoe points out in his commentary on the book of Ezekiel that drought is one of the first things God sends on a people who are under judgment. That book was published back in like 1977. I still remember his famous sermon, The Man in the Gap. I'm trying to find it on recording. Chapter 9 in that book of Ezekiel is that sermon. Friend, I encourage you, look for the book, get the book, read the book, read chapter 9 first. There is a free version that is available for one hour checkout at a time on archive.org. You have to register with archive as a simple registration, and then you can sign up to see the book. If someone's reading it, you have to wait, but you can check it out for one hour at a time. And friend, I would encourage you, go to archive.org. Pull up the book on Ezekiel by Stuart Briscoe and go to chapter 9. You can read it from your laptop. You can read it from your iPad. You can read it from your handheld smartphone. You can read it from your desktop. It's speaking about us. We are witnessing a global mayhem of biblical proportions. The clear and overt judgment of God is not complete, but the hour is getting late. My prayer is let there be peace on earth and let it begin with me. Peace doesn't mean the absence of conflict, my friend. If you know your neighbor is molesting a child, you don't sit back and keep your mouth shut. You take action to do all you can to stop it. Yes, the results that ensue will be terrible in the moment, but in the long run will produce godly peace for that child and for everyone. As I wrote those words yesterday, unbeknownst to me, USA Today ran a story that was picked up today by Microsoft News titled, Hillsong Church founder Brian Houston resigns after allegations over conduct with women. Hillsong pastor co-founder Brian Houston has agreed to resign from his position as global senior pastor amid complaints of inappropriate conduct with two women. Now let me stop right here and give you a context in case you're not aware of the Hillsong Church. The last report, I just looked it up this morning, that Hillsong Church is comprised of 150,000 active members across the globe. He was the co-founder. I just lopped off over 20 minutes of audio. I'm not going to go further into detail on this article, but what I'm going to do is attach hyperlinks in the show notes for articles that point to what is happening in the church and the Christian institutions. It is rampant and it is the work of God where he is causing those who are wolves among us to be exposed. And dear friend, we've got to wake up and be sober and realize that judgment has come to the house of God. And what we are seeing is a supernatural act of God to where he is flushing out the trash and the refuse. And dear friend, you've got to take responsibility for your own life and ask yourself the question, am I living a holy, pure life before God, one of piety, 
And I tell you, I've seen so much mediocrity in the church today to where this woke attitude towards all of the things that we once knew were wrong. And the pastors are guilty of promoting these things. And we're seeing these pastors who are falling, who are falling because of these acts of immorality and that they have perpetrated to the church. Why? First of all, to cause the sheep to stumble. They're there to devour you. They're wolves in sheep's clothing. The second thing is so that, so that they can live their lives of filth and immorality in your presence without check. But yet I want to remind you, my friend, that if you are a member of a church where molestation has occurred, where sexual abuse has occurred, where mental abuse has occurred, like in Mars Hill, Mark Driscoll, that church was prolifically guilty of mental abuse of its people in a terrifically terrible, unchristian, ungodly way. But my friend, if you are actively involved in a situation and these things are going down, you cannot feign ignorance. You cannot plead, I didn't know, because it is incumbent upon you as a child of God and as a Christian soldier of the Lord God Almighty to know what is going on. And so in the end, if it happens on your watch and you feign ignorance, you don't get a pass. God is going to hold you and me accountable. And so what that means is, is to go to your church, begin to look at things with the eye of the Spirit, with the eye of a critical evaluation in the same way that God does to his people. And stop covering up for things that are happening, many of them which are obvious. Does your pastor counsel women behind closed doors? Does your pastor counsel women at all? It has come to the point to where if a pastor is aware that a female member has spiritual problems, he needs to pass them on to another woman. I'm not saying not meet with them. I'm not saying not to hear that they have a problem, but they do not need to go into detail about what those problems are, especially if they're female. And I'm telling you with the rampant immorality in the church today, the pastor of God has to be very careful in the way that he conducts himself with his people. And people that are smart, they're using their positions to prey on the sheep. And so, my friend, you've got to start paying attention. You've got to start asking questions. Ever since I was a young man, it has become a prominent thing. And I grew up in the Southern Baptist Convention, and I'll call it out by name. But it has become a prominent thing. Don't ask questions about how much your pastor makes individually. Don't ask questions on how much your staff members make individually. Most of the budget reports that are presented by the large megachurches, it just says for the annual vote, staff salaries. In an effort to be considerate to the staff. But my friend, if you are donating to that church, yes, you're giving your money to God, but you are responsible for what that money is doing. You can't say, well, it's given to God. That's God's responsibility to follow up. Baloney. It's your responsibility. And if you know that the money that you're giving is supporting a pedophile in your ranks or supporting an adulterer in your ranks or supporting a molester in your ranks, you are responsible. Now, you've got to listen. I'm telling you, you've got to take this serious. And the days are past to say, oh, it's not my fault. It's not my problem. It is. And the bottom line, if you go to question, I want to see a full accounting of what the money, where the money goes in this church. If, they're, if you're rejected, that should be a huge flag to you that something seriously is going on. If your pastor says, it's none of your business what I make, you need to contend with that person and say, it absolutely is my business what you make. You live on the donations of these people given in faithfulness to God, and you are accountable to us. Let me remind you that the structure of the church is for the purpose of orderly conduct to carry out the business of Christ 
in the local community, but it is not a covering for someone to commit sin without check. And the bottom line is, is if you are a Christian, the Bible makes it clear that we as Christians are a kingdom of priests unto God. And that ultimately before God, you and I are on the same plane of existence with every pastor, staff member, and minister. In God's eyes, there is no difference. And so to plead the fifth or to plead ignorance, if your pastor or one of your associate pastors, one of your ministers, one of your deacons, whatever you want to call them, one of your elders, is doing something that you see as questionable, you need to call them out and you need to hold them accountable. And if they try to shut you up and turn you away, that says, go to work. Expose what is going on because what may be happening is what's happening in spades across the world. And I'm telling you everything from sexual molestation, adultery, fornication, everything you can think of, alcoholism, drug addiction, mental abuse. And let me tell you something, people. One of the greatest things that can happen is for a pastor to abuse his people mentally. If you look at Mars, Mars Hill and what that pastor did, the associate pastors of that church after that thing blew completely apart, they took out a website, and I think it was 13 of them, and they all personally, publicly confessed that they had been party to it. Why did they do that? Because the truth had been told. All of their reputations were marred, and they were wanting to move on, perhaps some of them to maintain the, lo the local congregation and convert it into a standalone church, which happened with some. But many of the satellites of that organization blew apart completely, ceased to exist. And so, my friend, these are serious days. God has brought the judgment of God to the household of faith, and he's doing it. These things are of him. And so I'm ringing the bell. I'm calling on you. Take responsibility for yourself. Hold yourself accountable. Do your life checkpoints against the Bible. So, my friend, this is the day. Check out the notes if you want to know for yourself. And again, it's not to sully your mind. It's to raise your awareness. There are things that will blow your mind, but what it should cause you to do is what? Take it back home to the local church and say, where are we? What does my pastor do with his time every day? What does he do with the time when we give him off, not only vacation, but if he takes a preaching break? I know of churches to where the pastor is given a preaching break every summer and they're gone for months and it doesn't count against their vacation time. You've got to ask yourself, what is the problem? As a kid growing up, our pastors had to preach a minimum of three prepared messages a week, Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. The local mega church, which has, which has trickled down into the local small church, the pastors preach one message a week, maybe multiple times. They're spending a third, at least a third of the time in preparation and getting paid enormous amounts of money. And you see the way these churches are set up, you've got to ask yourself, Self, are they set up as a nonprofit organization? Probably not. Churches in America are granted nonprofit status without application. And the friend of mine that I reached out to this morning said that according to IRS regulations, it's very hard for them to audit a local church. And so therefore, these abuses go on. But I tell you, it should break your heart if you ask the question about how much do you make, Pastor? And he deflects you, pressed to find out what he actually does make. It will probably break your heart if the church is of any size. The majority of the mega church pastors make in the hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars a year. And I tell you, is a worker worthy of his hire? Absolutely. But the son of man had no place to lay his head. And the bottom line is, if your pastor is getting rich off the contributions to the church, it's wrong. 
it is categorically wrong. And it also models the, the, the wrong kind of lifestyle, one of opulence and wealth and excess. And so, my friend, it's time. It's past time. It's 40 years past time. When Stuart Briscoe wrote his commentary on the book of Ezekiel, he was talking about that all of the signs that were happening in the 70s in the United States were, were signs of a nation in disintegration. That was over a generation ago, about 45 years ago. How much further along are we down the tube of the toilet? And so, friends, I close with this. It is time for each of us to take time for a personal spiritual inventory and cast off the sin that so easily entangles us. Repent and be the salt and light of Jesus to this anarchic world. How do we do that? First of all, friend, God has called me to incessant prayer like never before in my life. Through incessant intercessory prayer. So number one, through our incessant prayers to our holy God for rescue and reprieve from his righteous anger and judgment of our pandemic of sin. Number two, transformed hearts in love with Jesus. And, and friend, when it's true love with Jesus, it is going to permeate every fiber of your being and your life is going to look like him. And all of the things we're reading in the press these people look nothing like Jesus. They look like the drunken sots and the evil ones that my father hung out with at Evelyn's, the honky-tonk over in Dallas. Number three, and that God will restore our nation and give us, not just our nation, but the nations, and give us his blessing of provision and peace. My friend, we are on the brink of coming unraveled totally in this nation. We have forgot how to even get goods to the counter. And my friend, inflation is through the roof. Where I live here, there is a township called Thompson Station. In one year, the home prices have gone up 25%. Friend, if we get honest about things, some of the products that we're purchasing have gone up 50% in just a few months. If our government was honest with us about what the real inflation rate is, it would boggle our minds. So, my friend, it's time. It's time for us to come to reality. It's time for us to turn to Jesus individually. It's time for us to intercede for our nation. It's time for us to have transformed hearts and love with Jesus. It's time for we, the people, to ask for God to give us his blessing of provision and peace. And with that, my friend, I bid you peace. <music>